I still can't shake the memory of that moment when on the Thursday, when we were doing the Bible station at a sports camp, a soccer camp that we were conducting in British Columbia, in Canada, one of the most beautiful places I had ever been, I still can't forget the moment when little Jaden, in our circle, who had been attentive every time when we went from station to station, training and learning different soccer skills, that then we would get to this one station that we called the Bible station, and he would listen. And on that day, Toby was sharing about the gospel and was sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. But that good news includes that bad news of the cross that Jesus died for our sins. It wasn't just the, a clean slate, no foul, no harm. Jesus paid it all. And as Jaden heard this for the first time, that Jesus had died on the cross for his sins, his eight-year-old self rose up and began to just say, I've never heard this before. I've never heard this before. I have never heard this before. And te tears began to well in my eyes as I realized the importance of why we were in one of the most beautiful places we could ever visit, a place where there is affluence and great education, a, a place where there's no litter, a, a place that in every metric that we often say, well, that, that, that area is thriving. That area has everything that you need to thrive, that they do not have the gospel. And a little eight-year-old boy, for the very first time in his life, was hearing the good news of what God had done for him. And I looked, and I began to then understand the different people of the church, and even the church planter that had gone there, and to understand the backdrop to the story of planting a church in this area, of saying, this will be difficult. This will not be popular. This will not be something that just takes off in a quick way because people are very resistant to the gospel. But cloaked in humility, Ashley Austin went and planted a church called Canvas Church and began to labor there, and began to labor there, and labor and labor as a faithful pastor. And now today there's over 40 different people groups represented in that one church. Every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping the lamb that was slain and the one seated upon the throne forever. Brothers and sisters, that is why we labor. That is why we turn into the goodness of God's word into a place like Philippians. And we see another servant who was faithfully laboring, who met opposition, who every corner was rounding and experiencing difficulty, but was able to see that it will be worth it, and it will be worth it for eternity when we commit ourselves to the mission of God. Our missions result in that thriving status that we see up in an area like British Columbia. Great education, a good economy, health care, clean, recycling, green, lush, all of these things. But gospelless, not thriving bound for an eternity of a separation from God in a place called hell. And these are the realities of why we go and why we must go here locally in our own context. We see this put on display in Philippians. 
It's written to a church that was a result of a missionary journey, of a, of a man named Paul going on a missionary journey and taking with him others. We see this letter coming from Paul and Timothy, their love for this church. We see others mentioned. We see and learn about Lydia, the, the dealer of purple goods, and how the church kind of began with her and her household. We hear the story of the Philippian jailer and how his whole household was converted in one night and were baptized and all of these things happening in Philippi. And then we see Paul writing back with such a deep affection for this body, knowing that they need the encouragement that only comes from the Lord's word. And brothers and sisters, you need that encouragement today. We live in, in a time when it is so easy to grow weary in doing good. It's so easy to grow weary in, in putting forward the gospel. It's so easy to become discouraged, to look at the news and and to look at the politics and all of the things that you just say, oh, I mean, it's just, it's just as bad as it's ever been, and to lose heart. But don't grow weary, weary in doing good, for at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. That's God's word from Galatians 6, chapter 9, and we need to be reminded of that again and again and again. But we also need the warning that comes today that we might be actually laboring in the wrong direction. We may be pushing and pushing towards something that is not God's mission, that maybe is ours. And so I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to press on in our study through God's Word. Having last week looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and now today I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18 today. And I want you to hear the Word of the Lord from one who is imprisoned because of his faith, one who is awaiting trial and possibly execution. I mean, one who really doesn't know exactly how things are going to turn out for him. Hear this man, this servant of the Lord. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it's become known through the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that today, through the preaching of your word, that you will cloak us with humility as you set us on mission in New Orleans and among all nations. God, orient us to Christ through his word. Center our lives as we have just sung on Christ and on Christ alone. And do it all, please, God, in such a way that only you receive the credit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
Now, as we walk through this passage today, I want to move through in a way that kind of starts off with a few cautions. There's three cautions that I want to give to this passage that I think we kind of tend toward in maybe some unhealthy ways. And part of it is just cultural. It's just the way that we grew up or the conditions that we've always known or the way that we've often handled the Bible or applied it. Um, but there's some other reasons as well. And so I just want to give a few cautions as we step into this passage to just go ahead and deal with in this moment, okay? The first is this. Paul is not training the church to shut each other down when individuals are going through difficult situations. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying, so now when anybody in your Bible study group shares a prayer request, to just quickly tell them, hey, stop complaining. The Lord's using this to advance the gospel. So hush up. Sometimes that's just us not really wanting to enter into others' difficulty. To, to, to mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes we just want to quickly say, hey, just, Lord's got it. Do you trust the Lord or not? And then we just shut each other down. And that can be an unhealthy dynamic in a community, in a spiritual community, when we don't really listen to one another, when we're not really laboring with one another. Now, it's one thing for you to say, I can see in my own difficulty how the Lord is using this for good. And that can be a wonderful thing. But Paul is not being written to by the church at Philippi. Paul, your imprisonment really isn't that big a deal. Paul, your, your imprisonment probably is actually even working out for good things. So, you know, so when it's hard, just suck it up, buddy, and keep going. That's sometimes what we do, and we do it in love. And I know that you may have grown up that way of like, you know, kind of, you know, that, you know, if you're crying, you want me to give you something to cry about? Anybody? Okay. You know, like we grew up, you know, like that's part of, of, our, of our culture sometimes. But I do want you to know that's not what Paul's doing here. And sometimes we, well-intentioned believers, can take a passage of Scripture, an example that we see in the Bible, and begin to use it sometimes to shut people down rather than coming and wrapping around somebody that's going through something really hard. So I just want to encourage you, don't allow that to be the case where you use the Bible to, to hush people up, but instead that maybe you personally are, are, are gleaning from the Scriptures, and then if you see how God is working through a difficulty in your circumstance, just like Paul, give testimony to that in your Bible study group, in your spiritual community, how you see God taking a very difficult situation and even working it toward good and maybe for the advancement of the gospel. So that's the first caution that I want us to consider this morning when we look at a verse like this where Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me is actually advanced the gospel. The second caution is this. Paul is not saying that every difficulty is because we are in Christ. Not every difficulty is because I am following Christ. Notice what he says. He goes on to say, So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Now, truth be told, sometimes the difficulties we go through, everybody around us can see that it isn't because we made foolish decisions. So, so it's become clear to everybody that we're not following Christ. We're, we're going our own direction. So in large measure, we are at fault in a situation. It's not just because I'm a Christian. Too often, sometimes Christians do this, that we'll say, man, I'm going through a difficulty in my workplace. You know what it is? Because I'm a Christian. I'm following Christ. It may be because you're doing a poor job. 
It, it may be because you're not submitting to authority and you're difficult to work with. We need to have a humility when we go through life that acknowledges, you know what, I'm not perfect. I'm wanting to follow Christ. I'm wanting to be the real deal when it comes to being a committed follower of Jesus. But sometimes we've fallen into the pattern in the church today of every time something doesn't go our way, well, it must be because I'm doing something right rather than maybe it's because I'm doing something wrong. So please, like, as you go through this passage, know that these are some of the verses we find on pillows and on and on cards and on other things that we hang in our home and stuff and that's okay but we just need to be a little bit more mindful that we're not taking these out of their context and beginning to use them in ways that paul never intended for the church the third thing is this paul is not rejoicing in the spread of a false gospel and neither should we so sometimes we can kind of give a pass to say that something like um, a false gospel. Let me just give you a few that are really common today um, in, in America, in our context here in the West, that are some really popular ones. One is the prosperity gospel. And, and what that's teaching and communicating is that Jesus is a means. He, he's how you're going to get financial gain. So that anytime you're experiencing financial gain, that is always a blessing from God. It's, it could never be the evil one tempting you and luring you away from God. It's always just God blessing. And so what that results in is sometimes we see the people that have the most money and we say, well, they're the most blessed. R rather than maybe that person's doing something wrong and that's how they've generated all this wealth. You know, sometimes we've created equations that are not quite biblical. You say, well, Chad, does that mean that income isn't a blessing from the Lord? It depends. If you're out on the corner pushing drugs, you're making an income, but it is not a blessing from the Lord. He's not in it, okay? So I just want to caution you with that. It depends. That's biblical wisdom that we see in Proverbs. A lot of times when you're trying to apply Proverbs accurately, you'd have to step back and say, well, it kind of depends. It depends on situations. Sometimes we don't like that. We, we don't like for a statement to be like, well, it depends, but that is biblical wisdom, and we really need to take that to heart as we look at a passage like this one. Another, pros, another false gospel that's, that's really prolific today in the church, and this may be even one that, that I could be tempted towards, so I'm just being honest with you as your pastor, is the personal gospel, the self-help. I, I like learning about some of those, those hacks that help you be more productive um, or, or more focused or do a better job. I mean, and I think a lot of people in my generation really gravitate to those sort of things, and those can be very helpful in a professional sense. But sometimes what we've done is we've taken the gospel and just said that basically it only exists to help you have a better week, to, to be more productive, to get more out of, you know, some relationships, you know, to just have happiness kind of in general. The pushback again is, well, Chad, so you're saying the gospel doesn't make us happy? Listen, it gives you unspeakable joy but it's independent of your circumstances. It's not always just improving them and making you more productive and, and, and more efficient. Sometimes it's very inefficient. The gospel can lead you to spend an exorbitant amount of time with a person that's going through a long-term difficulty, but that's the gospel. I mean, Jesus could have expediently just come born of a virgin and then quickly perished on a cross. And for some reason, for 33 years or so, he spent time with us, walking on this earth. For three years of real explicit ministry, laboring with these knuckleheads called disciples, of whom I'm one. 
So please understand that sometimes the efficiency that we really crave in our culture today is at odds with the gospel, not just a way that, you know, the gospel is not just another self-help thing. And then thirdly, the political gospel. And listen, we're kind of in that middle point, right? Midterm elections and all those things, and it's going to be a minute before we're into the presidential race and all of that heat again. But brothers and sisters, let's learn a lesson from the last round about putting all of our hope in a political candidate, about allowing ourselves to conflate Christianity and whatever nationality we have. We need to be mindful of things. We need to be at the will. It's not at all saying that politics doesn't matter, doesn't, you know, be uninformed, don't vote. It's none of that. But what it is saying is that we do have a king, and that ought to be on display in every part of our life, including how we speak about elected officials, how we vote as informed citizens, and how we humble ourselves before our king on a regular basis and do exactly what he's called us to do. Pray for those in high and elected positions. Humble yourselves, lead quiet lives with all godliness. So brothers and sisters, there's these things that I just want to caution us with in this passage as we get started. That Paul's not training us to shut each other down when individuals are going through difficult times. He's not saying that every difficulty is because you're in Christ. And he is not rejoicing in the spread of a false gospel, and neither should we. But there are three calls in this passage that I think God's word is issuing to us through what Paul has written. And I want you to receive these today, setting aside those things that may distract us, that maybe are not the application that this calls us to. I want you to hear, first of all, this good news, that we are called to trust that the gospel is unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable. Be encouraged, church. The gospel can't be stopped. I don't care what legislation might be put in, put in effect the gospel can't be stopped. I don't care which turns our culture takes, the gospel can't be stopped. I don't care where you move, the gospel can't be stopped. Even when you get distracted, and even when you are doing things out of an impure motive, the gospel can't be stopped. That's reason for you and I to be able to rejoice that this gospel is unstoppable. And how do we see this? Well, brothers and sisters, when we go to places like North Africa, it is of great encouragement to us here in the West of how God is at work. Noah Green and I had the chance to go to North Africa and to spend time with a, a man who really is a, a pillar for the church in this country in North Africa where we were. This man has been walking with Christ since the 80s when there were virtually no other known believers where he was. This man would often be harassed by public officials. This man was arrested at different times and brought in for questioning only to be released days or weeks later to be able to return to his family. Business suffered, family suffered, difficult after difficulty after difficulty. But this man persevered in his faith. And it was actually as a result of him being persecuted that people began to notice Notice that there was something different about him. That the very means by which they were trying to suppress him and shut him down became the platform that God was lifting him up on to give testimony to what he was doing. 
This man who's been walking with the Lord for most of my life now sits in a small little office, little shop that you would pass right by if you were in the marketplace. Nothing significant except his faith. A man who is walking with the Lord, a man who has led countless others in his nation to Christ, a man who told us the testimony of the lady that was working in his store, that for years and years and years, committed to her Muslim faith, wanted nothing to do with this man other than to have an income and to have a steady income. But he was good to her. He treated her with respect. He, he and his wife ministered the gospel to this woman, and now with joy unspeakable, she began to recount to us the testimony of her coming to Christ and how good God has been to her through every season that she's walked through. It's an incredible thing when you go to other places and you see the difficulty of their faith, but you see that joy, that incredible joy that is manifest in their life and to realize that even in circumstances where 99.99% of the population worship another God, that the gospel even in those places is unstoppable. Be encouraged. My brothers and sisters here in New Orleans, be encouraged those that are traveling through, that maybe live in places like Houston that I met today and others, be encouraged that this gospel is unstoppable and it's not going to stop today. Second, you can do this. You can trust that God uses suffering for him. Not just suffering. Not just suffering when I make some really bad mistakes and all those kind of things, although God can redeem those situations, but uniquely, God uses suffering for him to wake others up and increase their boldness with the gospel. Trust that God uses suffering for him to wake others up and increase their boldness with the gospel. You know, think about how this happens in our culture today where we've had a, a, a real spike in awareness, awareness that we needed so desperately of sexual abuse and of, of, of survivors of sexual abuse. I'm so grateful for the courage of men and women who have stepped forward, sometimes after years and years of having been in an abuse situation, to come forward and to say, this happened to me while I was a child. This happened at the hands of someone that's still in an authority position. And, and I'm just coming forward now, sometimes 5, 10, 15, 20 years later after something has happened. But notice what happens in those moments often. Especially when you've had someone that it's going to come out, they've been abusing people for a long period of time. What happens? The first person steps forward and then it seems like an avalanche of, of people come forward. All of a sudden, it's, it's after the courage of the one to come forward and say, no more, no more. That then all of a sudden, there's a swell of others saying, you know what, that happened to me too. That, that was the situation for me as well. And, and all of a sudden, you see that happening in a very similar way. Brothers and sisters, Paul is the one who is now imprisoned, Paul is the one now who courageously is speaking the word of God when people are saying, if you just shut up, you could be set free. And now Paul is the one because 
of his courage, because of his faith, that others, notice how it says it. He says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. We need those examples in our life. We see how it works often, how one person's courage causes others to rise up in courage. Brothers and sisters, it may be you. Are you willing to be the one who stands, who acts courageously in the face of maybe something you're facing, where you're, you're put in a position to have to stand Squarely in your faith, maybe in the workplace, maybe in a relationship with a family member or a neighbor that doesn't go your way seemingly. Sometimes it's that one example that God uses to awaken his church. Just know that. Sometimes it's you, it's just you living for him, being committed to him, standing firm in your faith that God uses to be the catalyst to completely wake, awaken his church. So have, have faith. Be of good courage. Don't grow weary in doing good for the proper time. You'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Trust that God Trust that the gospel is unstoppable. Trust that God uses suffering for him to wake others up and increase their boldness with the gospel. But then finally, trust this. Trust that the mission of the church is the spread of the gospel. Trust that the mission of the church is the spread of the gospel. Listen, this represents orientation 101 for churches in the West today. We have had missional drift Learning to measure success by the advancement of the gospel is what it means for us to have missional effectiveness. We're either effective with the mission or we're ineffective. We're either on mission or we're off mission. Are our worship services serving for the advance of the gospel? Are our Bible studies as a church serving for the advance of the gospel? Are our care effect ministries here as a church and our global missions efforts, are they helping to advance the gospel? I mean, notice how Paul says it. He says, these preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they'll cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Listen, only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed and in this I rejoice he could rejoice because he knew this was the mission of the church brothers and sisters if there is a dissatisfaction either with your church now or just with the state of the church generally is that because you're dissatisfied with the missional drift of the church or because you have a different mission we do not have the liberty to define the mission of Christ Jesus' church. This is his church. He determines the mission of the church. And he set us on mission to go and make disciples of all nations. We do not have permission, authority, liberty to deviate from that plan. It's not ours. No one goes to Chick-fil-A to order a pizza. No one goes to a Saints game to cheer for the Falcons. Shots fired, I know. 
No one goes to a car dealership to learn how to read. But many Christians show up to churches week after week expecting things from the church that have nothing to do with the mission of the church. The scorecard has got to change. We have to recover the mission that Christ Jesus gave to the church because the joy is at stake. Paul was able to rejoice that even though somebody was trying to preach the gospel, and we can only assume they were preaching a pure gospel but from a bad motive, that they were preaching Christ crucified, buried and resurrected, but they were doing it in such a way that they were hoping it was going to make it even harder for Paul. We don't know exactly why they had it out for him. Maybe it was personal dislike. They didn't like his personality. We don't know. But he says it doesn't matter because the mission of the church is being advanced. The gospel is going forward. People are hearing about Christ. There's boldness in the faith. And so I can lay my head down tonight and rest in this that the gospel is being advanced. Brothers and sisters, we must recover the mission of the church or we will be joyless Christians. We will be so disappointed that the church is not fulfilling what we hoped its mission would be. And so that brings us to three challenges issued from this passage. The first is this, we saw the call to trust that the gospel is unstoppable. Brothers and sisters, what's stopping us from sharing it? What is stopping us from sharing it? You see, the gospel is not just some independent entity that, you know, like you just put it over here and then it just starts to move. The gospel is something given to a person and then articulated to another. That's how God has ordained for its transmission to happen. We can hope that God could use something like a track that God could use something like handing out a Bible, that God could use you know, a sign being drugged down the, the coast behind a plane that says, turn or burn. We could hope that he would use all that, but the message of transmission that we see in the scriptures is this. I tell you, you tell somebody else, and then that person tells somebody else, and that's how the gospel goes forward. It's funny how we so resist that. We'll, we'll even give handsomely to some other way of gospel transmission. But guess what? You telling someone the gospel doesn't cost you any money, but it does cost you your pride. And if we're just being honest, and if I'm just being honest, it's my pride that stands in the way more than anything else. I'm concerned about how I'm going to look. Am I going to be looked at as, man, like, that guy. Oh, we're talking about Jesus. Well, I guess it's your job, Chad. You know, you have to talk about him. I'm concerned about how I'm going to look. And that stands in the way of me sharing the gospel maybe more than anything else in this world. Philippians is all about humility. And part of humility cultivated in the life of a believer is the discipline, the practice of sharing the gospel. And so I encourage you that as we strive toward being a missionally focused church, that if you right now are sitting here and you say, I don't know how to share the gospel, I really don't know what I would say, that as we begin to offer trainings for how to, to share the gospel using a tool called the three circles, 
that you will take advantage of those equipping classes. One hour, one hour you learn how to share the gospel in a very biblically faithful way. And I hope that you'll take advantage of that. The gospel is unstoppable, but the question is what's stopping us from sharing it? Second challenge is this, suffering for Christ strengthens the faith of others. Are you willing to suffer? That's a personal question that we do have to grapple with. In that context, whatever it is specifically for you, are you willing to go through some difficulty? Because I promise you, it's going to benefit those around you. Anytime that you suffer for Christ, not just because you're, you're, you're hard to work with or, 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 or all those kind of things, but if you're suffering for Christ, I promise you that is going to enliven the faith of others around you. And then the third challenge is this. The mission of the church is the spread of the gospel. So the question, the challenge to you is, are you personally supporting the mission through engagement, through giving, through celebrating, through really being behind it? Or are you distracting from the mission of the church? And that distraction can come in a lot of ways. Often it can come in the form of our personal preferences sometimes. The, the things that I wish that this church did for me or for my family. And we all have to grapple with those things. And church isn't to be just a stale atmosphere where there's no joy, we don't smile, you know, those sort of things. But if we're being honest, over the last 40 years, church became remarkably about entertainment. It became about the show. It became about, you know, like kind of a, a Richter scale of emotional feeling. Boy, it was a 10 today. But is it resulting in the advancement of the gospel? And if we're honest, the gospel impact over the last 40 years got smaller and smaller and smaller. And so we have to be critical as church leaders about are we really advancing the gospel or are we just entertaining the saints? And so, brothers and sisters, I pray that as we walk through passages like this, that it will confront us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want you to look at for a moment how God graciously deals with his people in his word. How God confronts us, that we are saying right now in front of you, if you're here today just kind of considering Christianity, we are saying Jesus Christ is the king of our life. What we believe is that we have been saved through what one man did for us 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross because we believe he wasn't just simply a man, but that he's God's son. And that as God's son, he was a gift given to come into this world and to save us from our sin. And the only way he could do that was by dying for us, and we believe he died, truly died, he was then buried, but God did something to show that his son had defeated sin and death. And this is what he did. He raised him from the grave. And we believe that if we trust in him and in what he did for us, that we also, even if we die, that one day we will be raised just like Jesus was. This is what we believe. And we believe that God is so gracious, he not only saved us from our sin and has promised us eternal life, but right now in this moment, he is with us by his Holy Spirit. That he fills us, literally, taking out our heart and giving us a new one. 
And that now, because we have been rewired, a new heart, that our hearts are supposed to beat with a different affection for God, a different love for one another, and a different compassion and love for our city and all nations. But if we're being honest with you, who's maybe just checking out Christianity and looking at it, we miss the mark. We fail. We do get distracted. We get off of mission. But the way that God has ordained to bring us back and to keep us following him and to protect us from doing things that destroy our lives and destroy our families and destroy our communities is he brings us back again and again to focus on his son. He is our hope. Paul is gonna lead us right into a passage where he goes on to say that his only hope is Christ, whether in life or in death. It's all about Christ. And this morning, we're gonna respond in this moment by singing a new song together. It's gonna be one that we're gonna sing over the next couple of weeks because it really embodies a big aspect of what Philippians teaches about our hope. But if you're here today and you're just checking out Christianity, I want you to know the hope of Christianity is not church attendance, it's not being part of a a philanthropy group that goes out and just does a bunch of good. It's about giving your life fully to the one who died for you and the one who was raised for you. And so if you wanna talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ, I wanna invite you after the service to meet me out in the foyer. I would love to share more about what it means to follow Christ. But I'm gonna invite us all to stand. The praise band is gonna be coming back up in this moment. But for some of us, as we looked at those specific challenges, you may need to come and just spend time kneeling at these steps in prayer. Because if you're honest with yourself, you're off mission, big time. And you need to come back to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I want to be reoriented to your mission. I I want to follow you. I don't want to get distracted. I don't want to make church just all about me. It's all about him. Father, in this moment, I pray that as we sing this song, as, as some of us come forward and literally just kneel and get right with you, that this would be a moment where you are worshiped and where Christ all the more becomes our only hope in this life and in death. In Christ's name we pray.